Fusion Patrol is a listener-supported podcast. Find out how you can help support us at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. This is the Fusion Patrol podcast. Each week, we look at a different science fiction TV episode or movie and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm John. And tonight, we're going to be looking at the Moonbase 3, episode number 2, Behemoth, by John Brayson. A team of astronauts are working on the surface, conducting experiments in the Mare Frigoris. There is some strange disturbance from under the surface. Later, when they fail to check in, it is discovered that they, and all their equipment, have disappeared without a trace. Although searching continues, Calder is basically helpless. He calls the Americans who agree to assist in the search, but there is little that can be done for the missing researchers, who will have run out of air before the search teams can arrive. The mystery of the missing men begins to cause stress and concern amongst the crew of Moonbase 3. As a precaution, Calder makes Marafragoras off-limits until further notice. This does not sit well with seismologist Dr. Heinz Lobenthal. He's conducting critically important research in Marafragoras, but he refuses to reveal any details as to why it is so critical to Director Calder. Calder is unmoved and keeps the prohibition in place. The normally tight-lipped Lobenthal begins to get chummy with another scientist at the base, Dr. Stephen Partness. He agrees to give Partness some of his precious computer time in exchange for some help with his research. Lobenthal also reveals a bit of the nature of his work to his assistant. Michel Lebrun is having problems with Juan Benavente. Not only can he not understand Juan's outrageous accent, Juan is concerned that there is a potentially major solar storm coming as well as a hurricane on Earth. Juan is torn. The hurricane may or may not be significant, as might or might not be the solar storm. If they fail to warn Earth of the hurricane, it could cost lives. If they alert Earth unnecessarily, they could be scoffed at and future predictions could be ignored. Lebrun is a stickler for the procedures and does not see a problem with following the but in a concession to Juan, he takes the concern to Director Calder to decide. Calder listens to Juan, who explains it a bit better the second time around. The solar storm may knock out all Moon-Earth communications at exactly the time they need to warn Earth of the hurricane. Calder has an easy solution. Warn Earth now, but make it very clear that it's a premature warning because they might be incommunicado when they have their final results. Calder discusses the missing scientist's situation with Tom Hill. Tom is still bearing a grudge after the team-building stunt Calder pulled on them in the last episode, and isn't too sympathetic to Calder's dilemma. The scientists are most certainly dead. They may never know what happened to them. Should they write them off and get back to work? Should he lift the prohibition on Mare Frigoris? And then there is the explosion. 
The seismology section has suffered a total depressurization, killing Dr. Lobenthal and one other crew member. The exterior wall of the section and Lobenthal have been destroyed by some unknown explosive force, which originated outside on the surface. It is revealed that Lobenthal had not stopped working on his Marifragoras research because he believed he was on the verge of a major discovery concerning life on the moon. Morale on the base just keeps getting worse. And then a worker repairing the section of wall discovers a mysterious, snake-like trail in the lunar dust leading back towards Maria Frigoris. Morale really starts to plummet as scientist Dr. Peter Conway starts speculating that Lobenthal was searching for life and he found it. That life didn't like being probed and killed the scientists and later followed Lobenthal back to the base and killed him too. Lebron and Tom hear him out and dismiss the idea as impossible and illogical. But they put him in charge of investigating the incident. Helen has to talk with him. She knows he doesn't really believe there's a lunar monster. He's just speculating about it because it amuses him. But can he turn it down a bit? Morale was already low, and it's getting lower now that rumors of a lunar monster are spreading. Research work all across the base is grinding to a halt. Stress is high. Mistakes are being made. People are resigning and trying to leave. In one incident, a jumpy surface worker is startled by a co-worker and damages his suit in a panic. Other workers refuse to go out on the surface until the base is armed. The Chinese at Moonbase 4 call and threaten Calder. They've heard the rumors about the lunar monster and they will not abide by this propaganda campaign being waged against them. Even the American base commander calls to see what's going on with this rumored monster. Calder has to squash this before it gets back to Earth. He and Tom take search parties out to Mare Frigoris to see what they can find. Back at the base, Peter is making progress on his investigations. With the help of Lobenthal's assistant and Dr. Partness, Conway puts the pieces together. There is grave danger in Mare Frigoris. He must warn Calder. Remember that solar storm we mentioned earlier? Yeah, that one. It just happens to be preventing communication between the base and the search parties. Peter takes a moon buggy out and rushes after them. At Mara Fregoris, what appear to be moonquakes are causing problems with Calder's team. The ground is literally swallowing them up. Conway arrives, and with Tom's help, they rescue Calder's team, and they find the bodies of the missing scientists. Back at the base, it's all wrapped up neatly with a bow. Lobenthal had discovered permafrost under the surface of Mara Fregoris. The seismic charges that the researchers had been using were amplified by the subsurface water, causing subsidence and swallowing them. After the research ban on the crater, Lobenthal was unable to gain access to the seismic charges he needed, and so convinced Dr. Partness to make smaller, unsanctioned seismic charges so he could continue his work. While these improvised charges were smaller, and therefore unlikely to cause subsidence, they were constructed in a less safe fashion. An actual moonquake detonated the charges outside the seismology section. The mysterious snake-like trail in the lunar dust was just a pattern formed by the quake, but the worker's mind, predisposed to the idea of a lunar monster, interpreted it as a trail. Lobenthal has died before he could announce his great discovery, water on the moon. While this is a tragedy, it will be a big feather 
in Moonbase 3's cap. Well, so, Moonbase 3, Episode 2, Behemoth. Duh. What are your first thoughts on this episode? I liked it better than the first one. Okay, fair enough. I uh, <laughs> I, I did too. Yeah. Quite a bit. I, I really quite enjoyed this episode. I, I've, I've heard a lot of negative um, really? comments about Moonbase 3 in general being boring, oh, disinteresting. Wow. Uh, and I found this episode, uh, frankly, fascinating pretty much from one end to the other. Yeah, they did so, a good job of of keeping the uh, audience interested in the the mystery that was going on. That was nice. Plenty of little side stories too that everybody can get into as well. So I do I do question. I'm jumping ahead on a question, but it seems like the right time to ask it. When you, I'm I'm speculating when you watch when I watch a science fiction program, <laughs> right? And mm -hmm. the guy says, all right, let's take it to faster than light drive. I go, yeah, okay, right? Because it's science fiction and we know you can't travel faster than light. But, hey, it's storytelling, right? It's okay. It's, right. it's fine. And when they, they have a transporter to beam them or when they say, oh, look, there's life on Mars or when there's, you know humanoid life on Mars, let's say, or whatever it happens to be, you go, well, you know, it's, it's science fiction. And, and when they have that token scientist in the show that says, well, that can't happen, Commander, this is impossible, right? And, and we, the audience, know it truly is impossible, but at the same time, we know this is a science fiction show, and right. so therefore, it could be possible. Yep. Right? So how, how does that perception work when watching Moonbase 3, which is presumably supposed to be reality-based science mm -hmm. fiction. And so, no, there is not going to be any lunar monster on the moon, at least not an alien life form. It might be the Chinese or something, but it's, you know, it's not going to be a monster. And yet, I thought they did a pretty good job of making me think, maybe it could be a monster and I, and I i kind of feel cheated that i that i actually thought that because <laughs> I, i've been spoiled by all let's say bad science fiction but you know what i mean inaccurate science fiction over the years that anything's possible man yeah yeah sometimes you know you when you watch a show the suspension of disbelief is easier to obtain in some shows than it is others like star wars very easy to to uh, believe that they've got FTL and, you know, stuff like that. And lightsabers, oh, yeah, they're real. Star Trek, okay, they have warp drive, not bad. But if it was like a show that had, I don't know, uh, took place on the ISS, International Space Station, you know, in, say, 20 years, and, uh, you know, they, they uh, announced they're going to, uh, like, take the, the space station to Mars for for instance it's like no i'm not going to buy that at all because there's there's too much stuff that's clearly real in our universe there to counteract any sort of disbelief that you could could have that could be suspended but if that makes any it, sense wouldn't it be possible that you were watching a show about the iss and and i'm sure that there have been maybe not iss by name but a, an alien creature or something was 
wasn't one of the Cloverfield sequels, something like that. Oh, I didn't watch any of those. I, I, I count I myself lucky. Even the original one. I, I got halfway <laughs> through the original Cloverfield film, and the migraine that the <laughs> the camera was causing just was mm-hmm. like, you know, something can't do it, <clears throat> can't can't handle that one. But um, you know, again, you, you you're watching science fiction. I, I don't know where to draw the line on this. Am I to expect that this is going to be absolutely as close to hard science fact as they can get or or could there be could there be something i i don't know i i i, I don't know i yeah it, so early in the series you know you you're not quite sure if it's going to be you know hard science fiction and very close to reality or are they going to you know have a spaceship of non-terrestrial origin zoom across the sky at any moment. Yeah. Uh, So it's nice to see that in the second episode, they've pretty much gotten rid of that. That, you know, the the chances of coming up with an alien life form that says, you know, hi, take me to your leader. Very, very slim. I would would hope that it's next to none. I think so. I think so. But, you know, you know, even 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 just because they have a science consultant, right? I mean, lots of films. Who's a journalist? That are still, yeah. But lots of films <laughs> that can't happen still engage a science uh, consultant to get the bits that they can get right. Right, right. And you just have to accept the big lie that aliens have come to oh, Earth. Oh, exactly. Or, and, and, right. You know, and, and I, I know this for a fact that, you know, directors will say, well, this is great. It's, it's it's awesome that it's all scientifically accurate, but if we do this, it's going to be a horrible story. Nobody's going to want to watch it. So let's throw this stuff out, keep these things, and have a cool story. It's like, okay, yeah, the, fine. The big lie on this one is that we will have a moon base <laughs> exactly. in 2011. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. Well, if you can believe that, you'll believe anything. <laughs> right, and, and other countries will have their own moon bases as opposed to just one like you know, Alpha had in Space 1999. Yeah. Um, let's see a couple things my Frigoris the sea of cold mm-hmm. very real yep real place very near the north pole of the moon so if the astronauts have 10 hour supplies and they are aware that they are completely missing at 8 hours out because they still have two hours left, we right. have to assume that Moonbase 3 is pretty darn close to Mare Frigoris. Oh, yeah. It's somewhere in the north area. But we know that the American base is more than two hours by moon buggy away, because they can't get there in time um, to, to get to the base. So right. we, we have a kind of idea where, uh, where the base is. I'm I'm sure that if you wanted to, you could take some estimations of size from of the moon buggies as people were entering it, and then using a bit of math and maybe some rulers stuck against the computer screens as you're watching it, figure out the actual velocity of of a moon buggy as it's tooling across the regolith, and get a, a better idea of how close Moonbase Three would be to that area. But it can't be too far. It's, <laughs> it's got to be pretty much in that area somewhere. Right, you know, 50, 60 miles perhaps. I don't know. 
Yeah, I wonder. It 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 can't it can't be very far. It, right. it can't be very far. Um, we've got some themes in this episode that we've seen before. Do you act on information that's preliminary or that's that's premature oh, and yes, risk and overreaction? Or do you thing. fail to act and invite disaster? Right. Should we err on the side of caution? Yeah. Mm. And it comes up in both the story of Juan Benavente and Calder with this, with he's like, you know, what do we do about the dead astronauts? Do we... You know, do we say it's a regrettable mistake or do we continue to investigate it and treat it like it might be more serious and discard I, them like blown transistors or something like that? I forget it is. I, it's a great theme once. I don't know that it's, you know, now that we're in episode two, they revisit it twice more um, in the show. Um, you know, I hope in episode three, they don't revisit it three times three different stories and and carry on like that another theme that's repeated in this is stress oh yeah stress everyone's under stress yeah i got a feeling that's going to be a theme in every episode (laughs) and will we have a solar storm mucking up their communications every episode it well it if it does it's going to muck up other than things other than communications you know, I um, tried mm-hmm. to do a little Google research. I'm qualifying that with Google research right. to figure out how often this happens and how dangerous it is and and how likely this may. And apparently, so for example, the ISS, this is generally not too big of a problem. Um, they've had a couple of incidents where they've gone to areas that are a bit better right. shielded. Yeah, they're called the but storm it's really, cellars. It's really not that common, and it's really not that dangerous. They do have procedures in place, which they follow. They do have, you know, the ability to turn the station so that they can present a profile to the storm to minimize potential electronic damage, but it, it hasn't been as I don't want to underplay it. And and this is Mm -hmm. very important in the articles. It's like, we don't want to underplay it, but it hasn't been as big of a problem as, you know, we used to think it would be. So that's, I couldn't find it. Obviously we have no direct communications going on with the moon. So I couldn't really find out how often earth to moon communications would be affected by something like this. I couldn't really even find anything about, Earth to the ISS, I, I couldn't find any evidence that their communications had disrupted at all. Uh, I think um, nowadays it's not. And plus, it depends if you're at solar minimum or solar max. Because the sun goes through a, a period of lots of activity and then not a lot of activity. Years, yeah. Exactly. And uh, it all depends. I mean, if it's, you know... Uh, you we could, could probably find it, out when the solar maximum was... Uh, Vis-a-vis 2011. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You could work back from there. I but, seem to uh, recall we've been going through a quite a quite a, quite a minimum for. Yes, it's been very quiet for a while. Not a lot of sunspots. I found some information about uh, information uh, about uh, solar storms. Uh, I said back in 1972 there was a storm. Um, 
that uh, if they were on the, uh, the moon, they would have received about 400 rems, which 300 will kill you. But if they would have stayed inside the capsule, it would have been attenuated to about 35, which is livable. You're, you're probably not, not going to get too much, uh, too much illness from that one. Right, and we can assume that the moon base would be better shielded than... Right, right. And unfortunately on the moon, if the sun's up, it's going to be up for a while. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so you're well, just you mean they didn't build it on the permanent dark side of the moon? <laughs> wah, wah, wah. <laughs> yep. <clears throat> Still remember that episode of the Six Million Dollar Man. Yep. Still smarting well, over that one. <laughs> well, you know, they, they could... They could have built it inside of a crater at the North or South Pole, where pretty much it is dark all the time. Right, but we know it's not, <laughs> just from the pictures that we've seen. Yeah, exactly, yeah. That it's got some daylight going on. Yep. Um, let's talk a little bit before we get into the, the big stuff. Let's talk about Juan and the Weatherman. Oh, yes, yes. <clears throat> I'm curious uh, as to what I... happened to everybody else's weather satellites. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. It's like, is that the state of weather forecasting in, in this? Sh was that even the state of weather forecasting in 1971? No. Or two or three, whenever this show is. I mean, didn't we know when a hurricane was coming? Yeah. The first weather satellites went up around 1959. 59, something yeah. like that, right? Right. And when I was a little kid, I remember quite vividly watching the black and white uh, goes images of, you know, like... Uh, the cloud loop of, I think it was probably probably five frames for the entire day with the map of the United States superimposed over it. And you can clearly see clouds formings and, and all sorts of stuff like that. So, yeah, that that wasn't too far away from 1971. Would the moon be any better? No, it'd be worse. It's farther away. It's further away, but I guess you've got constant observation. You get that no, you from... don't because the planet's still rotating. Right, and you get that from geostationary orbits. So, yeah, because, you know, I couldn't... A lot closer to the Earth than the moon is. It was very hard watching that sequence, <laughs> trying to understand what the heck he was talking about. And, it, and it, because it was like, oh, well, there's a solar flare. And I'm like, are they trying to tell us that solar flares are going to influence the hurricane? And mm, I don't in know. a meaningful they never made way. A, they never made a... A good connection between that i kind of thought that maybe it was implied but i don't know uh, yeah i when so when he's talking to lebron mm -hmm. uh, i'm like well, i don't get the connection are we supposed to know is there supposed to be because i you know i know that sunspots and solar activity can affect the ionosphere and cause right. some weather but i didn't think there was anything specifically tied to the ferocity of hurricanes or you know, in a in a meaningful fashion mm -hmm. um, that, you know, we don't know about. <laughs> it's like, so I, I'm just listening to that going, I don't get what they're doing and they're not telling me what it's going on about. What we're getting is Juan seems to have a really good grasp of not knowing what to do. Right? right. I, I don't, should yeah. I should we tell them or should we not tell them? <laughs> I couldn't tell what he was even asking LeBron to do because he wasn't he wasn't asking him a question. He was telling him both sides of his dilemma, and 
like, was he hoping LeBron would just pick it up and go, nope, nope, do this, do that? Yeah, probably, yeah. He's conveying information, waiting for his superior leader to make a decision. And apparently there is a protocol in place, and he could just follow that protocol, and LeBron is perfectly fine with, why don't you just follow the protocol? And... Well, maybe the protocol is to talk to LeBron and then he can go talk to Calder. Well, it didn't sound like it, though, because LeBron was complaining about the fact that he wasn't following protocol Mm, to to Calder at the other end. So clearly there was a thing he was either supposed to or not supposed to do. And, and, And what really annoyed me about it was that when Calder got there and he came in, he went straight for the real problem. Well, I mean, they cut some of the explanation out at this point, but he went straight for the actual problem. Solar flares could knock out our communications at just the point when we might be able to tell them if they need to worry about this hurricane. Right. Which, if you accept the stupid premise that somebody on the moon might have to go, oh, you know, that hurricane, maybe you should worry about. Uh, By the way, there's a hurricane, guys. A Uh, hurricane? What? Where'd that come from? How did we miss that? If you were to accept that notion that it was, you know, the time when I'm supposed to tell them the solar flares might knock it out and then I couldn't tell them and then people could die. And in that case, you know, this wasn't this wasn't a difficult decision. It's like, okay, tell them that tell them what, you know, Mm -hmm. tell them, tell them, tell them exactly what you just told me. It's like. This might be a problem, but we don't know, and we might not be able to tell you when we do know. So just, you know, do whatever it is you've been doing for the last 100,000 years when it comes to hurricanes or whatever. Yeah, you know, exactly, 20 years. Yeah. or it. it right. I didn't... I think it was done just so we know that there's uh, a lot going on. Um, they could have just had the solar storm as you know, the, the, one of the, the plot devices. I'm not sure why they put the hurricane in there, but. Eh, I guess maybe to show us that the base is important. Maybe. That it that, does. Maybe that's why work. they did it. Yeah. We're right. You know, um, why, well, why would moon base three care right, about and, and hurricanes? Wouldn't, why wouldn't, the, why wouldn't that be moon base one? Exactly. Right? I mean, you know, I'm sure that I can't remember what uh, section of the Earth that it was hitting, but you know, whatever that well, country is. Well, it's not was, Europe. Yeah, you think that it would be, uh, you know, interesting to that moon base. It's so, never yeah, the Americans, Europe. right? The Americans would be very keen on the whole idea of predicting those things. You know, we get we get them in we get them in North America. Mm-hmm. We get them. You get typhoons in Southeast Asia, right? And you get. Uh, you can get them in South America. Um, well, you know, Americas get them on both coasts. And, of course, then you have to shift down past the equator because there's a zone where you can't have hurricanes. Right, right. And then you can get a typhoon in Australia, I think. Uh, and I think one or two have been recorded in down in South America, but it's very atypical. But they, they just, you know, the Earth just doesn't work that way. Hurricanes, real hurricanes, just are not impossible, but extremely unlikely in Europe. Right. 
yeah, it 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 just seems like seems like the wrong moon base to be handling that particular phenomena. Yeah, but I, I think there you go. I think they just thought, hey, would it be cool if we had a hurricane alert? Yeah, that's what we'll do. Throw that in there. Maybe, yeah, maybe that's one of the things that people thought the moon was going to be doing in the future is that no, it was going to be an important weather possible. observation post. And so they wanted to get that work that into the story, but um, it was, it was just, yeah. And also I, two, two observations about this event. The, the first is that LeBron's comments to Calder about Juan were hilarious and horrifying in equal measure <laughs> where I can't understand his accent. <laughs> yeah. He should talk. Oh boy. I it, mean, it, I think at well, some point, it, at some point in the episode, I think that LeBron took a trip to Germany because for a while there, he, he lost his French accent and had a, a dramatic one for a while. It it did seem to slip. <laughs> and and honestly, I was having trouble with Juan, who I assume is a Spaniard. Yeah, that or ben, Italian, maybe? I'm, I don't or know. Or Italian? It, out. it seemed to slip. I mean, Juan's pretty Hispanic, but Benevente, I would have thought was more. Although, actually, it was spelled Benevente, not Beneventi. So, yeah, it's supposed to be a mm. Spanish. He must be from Barcelona. There you and, go. Uh, <laughs> but... It's not just the fact, you know, not laughing at it because they both have bad fake accents, but it's also <laughs> because they are making the commentary about Europeans' prejudices against other Europeans. Oh, yes. Right? I mean, that's 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 what it boils down to, that muck he speaks. <laughs> mm -hmm. and, you know, that foreign rubbish he talks, um, which, you know, considering they're all speaking English. Exactly. Is is a little bit on the funny side, but yeah. Uh, so that's one. And the other observation is, I think if there was ever any doubt, it is very clear that LeBron is not suitable to be director of this moon base. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. Right. I, I'm, I'm fine with a guy that sticks with procedure and I, I'll tell you what, Here's what I was thinking when he was going on about that procedures bit, right? Okay. Procedures are good. Procedures are important. Procedures are a way for continuity. They're a way for consistency. They're a way to implement best practices. I have nothing at all wrong with developing and having procedures. Right. They but keep people alive. you must yeah. be able to look at a procedure when it comes into actual operation and it is not meeting the situation that you have on the ground, it is time to not throw the procedure out. It's time to revise the procedure. Right. Clearly they need a revision of their procedures concerning warnings about hurricanes when communications are likely to be impossible. Because that's those are two things that are going to continue happening. There are going to be hurricanes on Earth, and there are going to be solar storms that block out communications or technical. See, technical failures they probably won't know about in advance. But right, you know, solar storms right. is a predictable event to some degree. Right, and you, you can you fix just the, have to. Uh, you can fix the failures by having equipment on hand. Right, that would be a different procedure. But you know, mm -hmm. if if you were watching a hurricane and you're like, yeah, okay, well, uh, according to our procedure, we'll let them know in 20 minutes if it does this. Okay, 19 minutes later, 
a meteoroid strikes <laughs> your communications antenna and you can't communicate with them, that your procedure can't. I mean, right. it, we'll it send can out the communications in different ways, but we'll, as soon as we can. But yeah, we'll send out the communications in the afternoon dispatch. Here was a here was a doubly sort of predictable event. We might lose communication. We might have a hurricane. You know, they just needed to fix it. And and LeBron is not suited. And I think the British guy on the commission was obviously right of not backing the French person. <laughs> so, well, not that he was French. He just wasn't suitable for the position. Right. It's you know yeah. it, it it did kind of look in the first episode like it was all about well the British versus the French but in this case no LeBron is simply not qualified to mm-hmm. be the commander. Uh, he's yeah, not as it was stated in the enough. as stated in the first episode he's too young. I, I think he needs to have more experience as second in command or some you know high level administrator or something like that with, and get more time under his belt before he can be considered for and more uh, observation. Yeah, exactly. You know, people need to be watching him and going, you know, is he making good mm-hmm. decisions? Would he yep. think? So I, I I, think they were absolutely right that he is not the man for the job. Yep. I also do, did like the line somewhere in the course of the episode where they were talking about how, would well, do you think they'll get away with this? And one of the scientists says, no, uh, you know, maybe with the last base director, you could have gotten away with it. But not with this guy. He may look like a teddy bear, but there's steel underneath or something like that. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a pretty good... They, they've called him a teddy bear twice, and I assume mm-hmm. this is because he's a furry Welshman. But, I, yeah, that's um, it, yeah. <laughs> seems a little condescending, too, but okay. Yeah, well, Are the Welsh unusually hairy? I don't think so. Okay. No, I... I, I didn't think so, so either, but... Only the hobbits. I would, you know, if you took a picture of him and said, "Here, nationality, what is this guy? He's he's British Isles. What is he? I'd go. He's a Scotsman, obviously. <laughs> right? Doesn't he have that sort of stereotype? I, I suppose, yeah. Sort of Angus, sort of sort of hair and beard and stuff. And he put him in a kilt yeah. and run him around. So I, uh, I did like that." Uh... They perhaps had a scene where it may have been just completely by accident, but um, the uh, the guy who was doing the the hurricane prediction, uh, LeBron and he are in observation area, and LeBron turns to look at the picture of the hurricane, and at that instant, the uh, the other guy turns off the viewer, and it just goes dead. And LeBron's just standing there, like, what just happened? And then he picks up the rest of the scene. It's like, oh, that was very funny. <laughs> is that I foreshadowing? Didn't see that. Yeah, is that foreshadowing? Maybe I don't know. Is is he going to eventually, you know, uh, be more trouble than he's worth? Who knows? We'll, we'll have to watch more episodes. Oh, Juan or LeBron? Juan? LeBron. 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 Yeah, well, no, LeBron's Juan. obviously more trouble than he's worth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't he's think we're going to see Juan again. I kind of wonder. I, I felt like, you know, I felt like last time we had that sort of junior flight controller and he looked like he was going to be a regular and then not in this episode at all, yeah. as far as I can tell. I mean, admittedly, that 70 men's hairstyle does make <laughs> a lot of them look alike. Mm-hmm. But uh, but I, again, I felt like some of the characters like Conway and they felt like they were going to be regulars on the show. Mm hmm. 
Um, but I thought Lobenthal was going to be a, a a regular. He was in the last episode, and mm-hmm. and you know I don't think he's going to be back after this one. No. And speaking of Doctor Heinz Lobenthal, how no, the heck does he conduct a research program on the moon base without the knowledge and the consent of the director? Yeah, and without telling his assistant what's going on. Yeah, how can his assistant assist him if he doesn't even know what he's assisting him with? Because we all that know was... that the best science occurs in a vacuum, no pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I was first bothered mostly by the fact that, you know, looking back in the previous episode, mm-hmm. we did see a scene where Calder was touring the base and... uh. Laventhal said, it's too preliminary to give you a report on my research. So actually they did foreshadow it. Yeah. yeah last time was... he did, he did kind of, kind of blow off the director last time, mm-hmm. but you know, this time the director said, what are you working on? Right. And your boss who signs your paychecks and keeps you on the moon at, says what are you working on you say yes sir here's what i'm working on exactly incredibly secret and we can't tell anybody but i can tell you because you're the guy that's going to let me keep doing my work right and authorizes the budget for whatever he's doing yeah yes the budget the equipment time the computer time the fact that he apparently can just take a buggy out whenever he wants and drive around the moon without anybody knowing where he's going yeah that part bugged me. Is there security on this base? Because, I mean, Conway goes out on a buggy without anybody I know. approving it. It's like, hasn't anybody heard of the two-man rule? <laughs> that, too. <Wow. laughs> that, too. They just... Uh, I That part felt very bad yeah. to me. I mean, literally, that's that one feels like one somebody should have said, you know, this doesn't make sense. Th- this is a suspension of disbelief that these people can just get a spacesuit because if you think about it he has to check out a spacesuit i mm-hmm. assume he has to check out a spacesuit he has to get it filled with air right. uh he's got to get authorization to go outside the airlock and if he doesn't have to get authorization oh. to go outside the airlock surely someone knows that the airlock is being open and closed right and right that, and yeah. that a buggy's being taken. I mean, has he just got his own personal buggy and he gets to go whenever he wants? Or, you know, is another research team going out there and going, hey, where's my buggy? Exactly. I, I was really. I mean, if, if each each of the researchers has their own buggy, you know, there's probably a reason why the people on Earth are uh, not giving them any more money. It's yeah. like, okay, why do you have 50 buggies? You could do, you could just have a pool of five. It'd be fine. <laughs> That's right. The buggy pool. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, and then, you know, do they not have to file travel plans? Right. I, I would, I would surely think that you'd have to, if you got a moon buggy, you'd have to at least check it out. You know, uh, maintenance would have to make sure the battery was topped up. Right. You know, uh, air was a, topped up, whatever it's got. I mean, wow. Go on an excursion in such a hostile environment all by yourself. That's how you die. I mean, you know, that's just and, and he good. did. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. But not out on the excursion. 
No, no, you know, other people did that. And granted, the two two uh, earlier researchers, both of them died when they were out, but, you know, that was an extreme uh, instance. But, um, yeah, still. The moon is a deadly place. Yeah, exactly. Wait, 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 Safety. wait, wait, wait. <laughs> the, the moon Uh-oh. is a harsh mistress. Air. Nah, I don't, I don't like it. Nah, that'll never catch on. No. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So, I mean, and then let's just keep, let's just keep their protocols going. Here. <laughs> they apparently have seismic charges. Yes. Which are safe because they cannot be detonated without electronics. No. That's good. That's good. Okay, fine. We'll go along with that. Sure. Yes. Um, but when a researcher gets banned, he, uh, can co-opt at least two other people in the base who are not well one is part of his team who didn't mm-hmm. know what was going on and the other is a, a rival he convinces him for some computer time computer time how oh, quaint. I know that. oh yes that was very very nice it's like oh yeah time sharing oh, yeah, I remember oh. that wow <laughs> What if they were running Multics? Wow. Uh, and then he can convince another guy to build explosives I know. for him. Hey, like, Bob, why don't you wake me up a couple little bombs? Oh, no problem. Okay. Sure. What do you want to use them for? My my research. Research. Uh, because I'm very frustrated with the base commander because he won't let me do what I want to do. So I need some bombs, please. Exactly. Oh, certainly. You sound quite stable. Like so that, six. that really was disturbing. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> all right, so first off, you can use an airlock whenever you want. And secondly, <laughs> apparently explosives are easy to come by on the moon base. You know, Fairly. a morale problem is going to be a really big problem here if, uh, you know, things are going south. <laughs> what, was the, what was the motivation of partners? After there was an explosion of not confessing up front. I'm, I'm not sure. He was, maybe he was hoping, well, maybe they'll just find a alien and blame it on that. And I won't get in trouble for breaking protocol. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't, yeah. Or was he afraid he'd be blamed for his death? I, that's probably what, what it was. It's like, oh, no, I gave him the stuff that killed him. <sighs> right. But it, it does seem like at the point when, you know, suddenly everyone's thinking there's a monster. And when the when the worker turns <laughs> around with his power tool and accidentally gores the, yeah, the other the worker who tapped him on the back. Buddy. Um, I think radios, dude. Radios. Yeah, no Don't they have those things? I mean, geez. Hey, Bob. I'm behind you. Ah! Exactly. But, you know, after people start getting hurt, at some point, your yeah, you might want to say, uh, Mr. Go, Director, okay. you know, I'd like to have a word with you in private. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm really sorry about this, but I yeah. did this thing I shouldn't have done. I'm going to be a professional about this, and I'm going to tell you what happened. <laughs> so that part was not, not so good. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe he'll be sent on a team-building exercise in the next episode. 
And the future. I wonder what kind of team building exercise we could come up with for that one. Oh, I don't um, know. <laughs> I'm sure Coulter has one in plan in store, though. Now I've got you out here on this crater. Three of these are real bombs. One of them isn't. All you have to do is one to of these find air, out which one isn't. One of these air cylinders has been booby-trapped. Yeah. You'll figure out which one. Yes. We, we have to be able to rely on the things around the base as not mm -hmm. being explosive. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I like it. I think we should definitely do that. Um... <laughs> the lunar hmm. monster. Dun dun lunar dun. Monster. I really, I really liked that. <clears throat> I I really did. I really liked the notion that that these rational scientists, <laughs> because they're human beings, is right? literally chock a block with scientific people, and the bug-eyed monster gets traction. Wow. And it gets <laughs> traction. I wouldn't it. Wouldn't it a little bit, you know, maybe just a little bit? Because I, I think the scene where, although I don't know that the reveal was particularly, not the reveal, but the the, the way they announced the resolution. But mm -hmm. the fact that the rumors were swirling that there was something out there, a lunar monster. And then you get a guy who's working on a thing and he looks over and he sees some squiggles in the regolith heading in the general direction of the Mare Fricoris. And that is just exactly the way real human brains work. They see patterns. No, they exactly, take yeah. a preconceived notion and they go, uh, Commander, this could be a track of something unknown out here. Which just, I, I, I totally, I could totally buy this. I, I have on this podcast probably many times mocked people believe in bigfoot or chupacabras mm -hmm. or anything yeah, so like that for some odd reason Be i can believe that you've done that <laughs> <laughs> and yet i don't automatically you know assume that they're stupid people it's it is a human failing mm -hmm. of the human right. brain that we can be any of us, absolutely any of us can be taken in by something like that if it hits you at the right time and the right place. And I felt that this was a really good portrayal of that because they do have something weird going on. And it, it's, you know, as 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 um, Conway says, you know, well, here's the, you know, put the pieces together. And the other two are like, no, that's not logical. You know, it's not logical. It's it doesn't. It's not possible. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So, you know, go find us the right answer. And he goes off to do it, and he does do the job. But, and this is the other part that felt really true, really, truly human. And I could see myself in that one right there. Is right, Helen accuses him of doing it because it amuses him. Mm-hmm. I totally would do that. I know you would. Yep. I totally would do that. It's like, I know it's fake. I know you know it's <laughs> fake, but it's kind of fun. Right? right. I mean, hey, oh, yeah. it's the most. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Uh, I totally do it. And But here in this pressure cooker it, that they yeah. live in. Yep. I would trust you not to do it to the extent of 
of uh, you know adding fuel to the fire, as it were. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's you, that's you're the just thing. making I... things worse. Mm-hmm. And you know, Helen calls I, I, him on it. Right. I, I you know, uh, before he turned out to actually have some value, he should have been sent on a, a mission to another moon base for a while. As soon as he started spouting that rubbish. He did. He did seem to start this episode off as being having no value. That's a very good assessment. Yeah, and then suddenly he was like, like hmm, "The man disposable. that saved the day." It's, yeah, exactly. That actually, I was shocked. It's like, wow, he redeemed himself, kind of. And then there's that little one line in the middle when he's just had his little talk with Helen, and mm-hmm. he's about to go off and start his investigation, and she says something along the lines about his work being on the verge of some major breakthrough. Yeah, right, right. And he says, yes, a major breakthrough. I just don't know why I'm doing it. Something like that. Hmm. Right? He he says, I I just don't know why. And he doesn't mean I don't know why it's going to be a major breakthrough. It's I don't know why I'm going to, I'm doing this. Hmm. Interesting kind of leads me to believe that he's going to be back and he's going to need some psychological counseling. <laughs> it's entirely possible. Let's see. And then, of course, we get the, the Chinese. Oh, yes. Propaganda. Woo! Thank you Quite very much. one-note General parody. stereotype. Yeah. yeah. Uh. So, it's we asked whether these things were military. Mm-hmm. I guess that if the Chinese commander is a general, then he's probably a general in the PLA. Yeah. Interesting and that he assumed not the that Palestine was. Liberation, but it's right. Yeah. Well, all the other bases must be military, right? You'd think he'd be briefed on how that was, because the previous yeah. administrator wasn't uh, a general either, or maybe. Well, he's never addressed as such. He's always director. Maybe maybe we're actually not being paranoid enough here. <laughs> uh, the Chinese are kept from information about the outside world. Oh, good point. So yeah. maybe he's misinformed about, you know, he's working on the assumption that yeah. the guy's a general. Or he's working on the assumption that the guy may say he's not a general, but of course he's a general because this is obviously a military base there to spy on us. He was trying to trip him up. Ooh, clever. Mm-hmm. Probably, probably taught him that in spy school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. But I, in a way, I was hoping we'd see Moonbase 4. I bet it looks like Moonbase 3, but with a 4 painted on the side of it. <laughs> Very much so. I, I meant I meant the workings of Moonbase Oh. Physically, I don't care if we see what it looks like, but, you know, just kind of <laughs> what it's all about and what's what's going on there. Um, because the Chinese government, mm-hmm. I'll just I'll, I'll just go on my soapbox here. All right. Um, they are, you know, evil. And <laughs> today, in this day and age, they are I, I a dangerous evil in the world. Probably evil back then, too. It's going to go out on a limb and say that. But I think they were a very dangerous, a different thing in 1973. 
I think in 1973, if they weren't in the middle of the Cultural Revolution, they were, they were just coming off of it. Mm-hmm. Right? Mao was still alive. Um, so he was starving everyone. Yeah. Um, they were very insular. We didn't get a lot of information out of them. So, you know, thinking about what the writers would be drawing upon in 1973, you know, they're, they're little more than stereotypes here, but I assume that, you know, it's, it's all about having a nuclear bomb so they can blow people up on earth. Cause that was about the time they got nukes, right? I think Early seventies or late sixties. I think so. Yeah. They were being handed out as a, uh, uh, party gifts at, uh, from the Soviet Union, yeah. Yes. It's like, oh, hey, look, every October we send you a nuke. Awesome. <laughs> Just keep signing and up for by the By land. By but, land, yeah. not, yes. not by air. No, by, no, 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 no. <laughs> by train, by very large, slow train, yes. Yep. <laughs> yeah, so it's interesting that commander. they... Uh, oh, go ahead. Oh, as I say, it's interesting that they, they totally missed the whole uh, detente with... That is actually occurring now for the most part with space programs is that you kind of cooperate out there. You know, the international space station is the international space station. It's not like the Soviet space station or the American one, you know, both of those. Well, we don't have those anymore. When was Skylab Uh, up? Um, 73 to 74. And when was Apollo Soyuz? Around 74, I think. Okay. I'm not so sure. We were beginning to cooperate with the Soviet Union in space. But as far as well, I know, China didn't have a space program at that time. Right. And, um, you know, frankly, I think in some ways, at that point, there was a rift between them and the Soviets. Um, so they weren't... I, I don't want to say... I don't think they were... I don't want to say they weren't treated as a threat, but... They were, they were a different, different, well, we didn't, we wouldn't deal with them. Remember, mm-hmm. we, we didn't have any diplomatic relations because we had diplomatic relations with Taiwan as right, right, the right. Republic Just of China at that time. And so that did keep, you know, keep diplomatic exchanges and talks and whatnot down oh, to it. was a, a, 1975. Paul oh, has occurred there. The docking of the two crafts with the androgynous mating adapter. Yeah. Yep. The AMA, which I'm sure they called it. AMA Engage Now. Yeah, I forget what they called it. But yeah. mm-hmm. um, I was going to say, the rumors reached the Americans, too, about the lunar uh, monsters. Yep. So obviously that, that subspace chatter is just getting <laughs> all over the place. It's the um, uh, pigeons and little pressure suits that they send between bases. Apparently. So I think it's interesting that if all the moon bases, or at least two of the moon bases have got this information that they would be naive enough to think that earth hasn't heard about this. Oh yeah. I think that it would get, uh, you know, ground side pretty quick. Unless they're trying to tell us they have spies. Hmm. I hadn't thought about that aspect. Huh? Maybe. So yeah, even the Americans might have spies. Oh, undoubtedly. I mean, Hey, why not? I mean, sure. we're good friends, but I mean, you know, trust, but verify. <laughs> well, you know, there's always been a kind of a tradition of uh, British and American intelligence 
uh, looking over each other's shoulders. It's it's a it's a good thing they do too. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Why not? Tom Hill is still holding a grudge. Oh yes, holding it well too, with both I, hands. I <laughs> firmly applaud him. I firmly applaud him. He genuinely should hold that grudge for a very long time. Although Calder seems to be a good commander so far, mm-hmm. that's still really a, a, it's a very cowboy inexcusable, move. <laughs> yeah, an inexcusable cowboy move. Um, let's see. Did you feel? Oh, go ahead. You, I, oh, I was going to say. Uh, uh, I like that every stress can be solved with a sedative. Oh, and guns. <laughs> Yeah, let's get guns on the <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, they oh, want yeah, to be that's armed. Always, that's always a good idea. Way to go there, Mr. Uh, Tom. We're going to break open the armory and, and issue weapons to everybody. Because we've seen what kind of damage you can do with a wrench out on the lunar surface. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, think what if they had yeah. guns? Think what they were doing. I actually kind of, I wasn't, I wasn't entirely sure. Um, that, and I guess that one fits with the rest of it. I didn't feel like the moon surface sequences were very clear. And I don't know if that was bad directing or intentional. It doesn't matter what the sequence was. Whenever I watched it, I was just kind of like, I'm not quite sure I'm getting a good feel for what's going on. And that starts right with the very first sequences where you got the people on the surface. Mm -hmm. And I frankly, I thought there was four people out there the way it was shot hmm. you know uh, and then you know the ground's wobbling and there's like lunar quakes and they don't talk to each other hey whoa the ground is shaking or anything right. I mean, clearly they have intercoms between their suits why they weren't using them is beyond me maybe right they were, and listen to their music soundtracks on their maybe cassette players or something like that in their spacesuits i don't know and part of the reason I thought they didn't, there was four people out there, is because the first two people, who are turns out just the only two people, mm-hmm. are affected by what appears to be a moonquake, right? Shaking right. around the grounds, yep. the grounds looking a little weird and whatnot. Although that part was, I think, deliberately misleading uh, for later, in case it was a lunar monster. But yes. you know, they're they're shaking around, and then the shaking stops, and. Then we basically cut to a scene where it seems normal, and then the ground starts shaking, and two different people now are like surprised <laughs> by the moon mm-hmm. moving. And then in neither case do they seem like they go, "Hey, maybe we ought to go get back in the moon buggy and get the heck out of here." Right? They they seem right. to be just taking it in their stride. They're so blasé about the whole thing about walking on the moon that they don't really think it's important to notice. Hey. Maybe I should tell somebody that the uh, that hill over there was undulating. Hmm. Nah. Maybe yeah. Not. Yeah. It 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 seemed. And then there's a sequence where Le, more lack uh, of discipline. Lobenthal mm-hmm. is out on the surface, and he's coming back to the moon buggy, and he's, I think, dragging something in the back, and I couldn't tell that was Lobenthal. I didn't know who that was. I'm like, who is this guy? What's going on here? I don't know what's happening. There's just a guy on the moon. And yeah, I think if you blinked at the wrong moment, you didn't see his face. 
Um, well, and it's not the clearest, easiest face to see once you've got their uh, got them behind the little the Snoopy and the helmet and everything. Yeah, it's true. Uh, they hadn't figured out the, the whole let's put lights inside of people's helmets thing with with movies, TV shows nowadays. It would have been inaccurate, probably. So. <laughs> Very. But you so, know, nobody seems to have sun visors either. So, no, they're they're way up in the north. So, oh it's, yeah, uh, yeah, it's not as sunny. It's like being in Scotland, answers. right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> it was, you know, there's that. There's the sequences when Calder's people are getting shake. All of that out on the surface was not very well done. Mm-hmm. Or I felt like it wasn't very well done. And so even the sequence where the guy is working on the wall and another guy walks up to him and reaches over and puts his hand on him. And again, I'm thinking, right, intercom. Right. But he puts his hand on him. He turns around with a wrench in his hand or whatever that thing is. And that's when the guy he in a spacesuit. Ah, yeah. And yeah. I couldn't tell whether or not he <laughs> saw a guy in a spacesuit and stabbed him. Or whether he turned around and stabbed him in his fright. And then later on, I think somebody actually said he clobbered him. Yeah, that's what it was termed. So did 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 he turn around, see a guy in a spacesuit and go, oh my God, it's a guy in a spacesuit. He's here to kill me. And he start beating him with it? I don't know, because they don't show us that sequence. Right. I, I w- kind of wonder if the the the... Scenes were shot out of order, and what was blocked out wasn't exactly was what the writer had envisioned for that scene. So, you know, maybe the uh, the writer thought, well, you know, we're going to have him like you know haul off and hit him with an air cylinder or something like that. But uh, as it was, all they had a, a budget was for a small hand tool and just turn around and hit his air hose. Yeah. So it was. I didn't. I wasn't particularly impressed there with the the outer space directing. Yeah, uh, yeah. On that, and once again, they still have the uh, the flexible lunar sets. I don't think that's. <laughs> well, the moon is soft. Away. The moon is soft. Right, like a the head of a drum. Yes, <laughs> like a, like a like a big rock in space, only softer. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Airless, waterless, rock. Oh wait, not waterless. Um, oh yeah, yeah exactly. So, just a brief history here. Water on the Moon yes. was speculated back in the 1960s by scientists as being a possibility that there was water, subsurface water or permafrost at the poles right. of the Moon. So, that was a real thing in 1970-whatever that they would have mm-hmm. known about. In 1976... Um, Luna 24 Soviet probe took some samples and uh, a couple of years later, they got the return from that and they got Mm -hmm. a uh, registering of like 0.1% water by mass. So that's the first confirmation that there's a little bit there. Um, NASA's, um, I can't think of the name of the probe, the M3 mineral. Mariner. No, 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 no. There's, no. A, there's a satellite. There's a lunar satellite over the moon. It's an Indian satellite, but it's got an American space package in it. That's uh, the the M M three or M cubed or something like that, and it's M M M. I don't remember what it is, <clears throat> but that's the one that in 2009 
first detected suspected water. Mm-hmm. And then in 2018 confirmed, and that was the big announcement of back last year about that there is definitely polar subsurface right, exactly. water. Right, exactly. Yep. I, around the poles. I have seen pictures of where the water deposits are. Mm-hmm. I could not find a picture that mapped what craters. Oh. <laughs> as to whether or not Mara Frigoris would be there. Um, the um, uh, Soviet one was not in that crater. It was in I oh, oh I meant to write it down, but apparently I did not write it down. It's something like hmm. Mare Clitoris, but I know it's not that. No, no probably uh, not. <laughs> it's the mare of uh, the Sea of Crises is what it translates to. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah. look up Luna Twenty Four. You'll find it. <laughs> but it's uh, and it's definitely not Mare Clitoris. No. Probably Definitely not. not that. That can't even be found. And you could search for it, but you will never find it. All you want. Mere Chrysium. Chrysium? That's how you pronounce that. Okay. So, water, speculated thing. It's a real thing. Yep. They discovered it in 2011. Big deal. We discovered it for real, guaranteed, positively in 2018. <laughs> but yep. with, you know, hints going back away. So, yeah. Uh, very important. And I think they make, you know, they make mention of it. There is, in, literally in passing, the importance of having water on the moon is a game changer when it comes to establishing a habitable base. Oh, definitely. You get fuel, you get air, you get water. Yeah, it's really important stuff. Really important stuff. Uh, help them build cement out of the lunar dust. Um, sure. You know, <laughs> all sorts of things the, like uh, that. Yeah. Concrete mixers. Yeah. Go on. <laughs> so, um, yeah, uh, obviously something that, that they were hoping science fiction writers were hoping back then scientists were mm-hmm. hoping back then and, and played out. So I, I like, I like the fact that it's a plausible thing and more than just plausible it turned out it's true. Uh, I don't know that I have anything else on this particular episode. I, 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 a couple things. Uh, uh, when Calder's talking uh, to the base, they use those little tones that you'd hear in Apollo, those little uh, around two kilohertz beeps. Mm-hmm. Called Quindar tones. And it has to do with the way that they would move the uh, transmissions from one transmitter to another to bounce it off of satellites and whatnot. So that's nice that they put that in there. I don't know if they're using it in the proper way, but eh, it's there. I was going to say, they would probably, would they have satellites on the moon at this point well, for them uh, to bounce off of? Well, Calder did actually say that they were going to task like satellites three and five or three and six to do um, hurricane observation. So they have a couple of them. Don't but would know those exactly be types, Earth though. satellites? I'm not sure. I would think that they would want to have some satellites or some communication satellites orbiting the moon because, you know, your transmission range is going to be really limited. Right. Because it's the, the moon is a lot smaller than Earth, so your transmitter footprint is going to be tiny unless you have, you know, a, an antenna that's a couple kilometers high. Plus you also have no atmosphere to skip. Right. 
over the horizon Still. either. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, I... I, you know, it's interesting, obviously, that I don't think they contemplated the idea back then. But, you know, I think that if you were going to do it now, I would like to think that if they were going to establish a base or try to make habitation on the moon, that they would fling up a series of GPS satellites, if nothing else. Exactly. They would put something in orbit, you know, in one of the, uh, the Lagrange points to at least provide communication between, uh, you know, say the, the dark side, or I should say the far side of the moon and Earth. Because, you know, you lose all that communication stuff when you have a really big rock sitting in the way. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that would be a relay to Earth and then relay mm-hmm. to the other bases and right. track, you know, know where your moon buggies are. Exactly. Hey! <clears throat> Of course, back then they didn't really. Somebody know took what a GPS moon buggy was. out. Yeah, well, yeah. When did it? When did that go live? Uh, sometime in the eighties, I believe. Okay, but it was that... just military only back then, I believe. Right. So that was that was way future technology that they failed to predict, but uh, mm-hmm. have it. Yeah, same thing with the uh, all that printed out paperwork they have. <laughs> <laughs> and hurricane predictions, yes, from the moon. <laughs> Oh, I did like that uh, when Calder is using the communication console on the moon base, that the microphone appears to be a hairbrush. <laughs> I did not notice that. Yeah, look at it next time. It's got bristles on it. <laughs> that's a they... spit guard. Pop filter. Yeah, that's um, it. Yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. <laughs> it's the, You know, if you get too close to the microphone, right, they stab you in oh, the lips yeah. and you go, whoa. Like, like Ooh, those things that they away. used to keep pigeons off from ledges. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly what it is. Um, that's, uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, and they did mention hypergolic fuels, which was nice. I like that. Hypergolic fuels. I don't know what they are. Hypergolic fuels are fuels that... Uh, Sounds French. It's, it's binary. So you have a part A and a part B. And when you mix part A and part B, you get an explosion. So they're very simple-ish. Uh, to use in space because you don't have to have any oxidizer. So literally all you do is you turn valve from tank A and valve from tank B. It meets in the combustion chamber and the rocket goes forward. Was that what was used for the explosives that uh, Partners made? Yes. <laughs> That's what he was talking <laughs> about? Yeah. Okay. They're highly dangerous <laughs> uh, because if you do mix the two parts, you get an explosion as... Heinz found out. Whoops. <laughs> yeah, and also they do tend to be rather uh, deadly, uh, just the chemicals themselves. The hypergolic fluids are usually ones that if you smell it, you're probably going to lose your liver. <laughs> Hydrazine. Because, because you s- sniff with your liver. Um, yeah. well, no, because <laughs> you've got enough molecules in your nose. You have way more molecules in your body now than it would take to, to destroy your liver. It's right. that sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, when you're living in a vacuum, you take some chances. That's I all. I guess so. Yeah, you know, there's probably a procedure for that, but we can ignore it for the time. Oh, yeah, uh, they did. Fair enough. Well, mm-hmm. you know, that sweet, sweet computer time. Oh, yeah. Man. It's oh. Worth every second of it. Mm. Every second every of Every microsecond. Yep. <laughs> for for listeners who, who are not as old... <laughs> 
<laughs> Speak for yourself. You're older than me. I am older than you. That's true. <laughs> At some point in the past, when you wanted to use computers, big computers, not these nifty little things we carry in our pockets, but big, big computers. Ones uh, that have you had to, kilobytes uh, of memory and megabytes of storage. You had to basically storage. rent time on them mm-hmm. in the CPU. And so on a research base like this, when they're talking about sharing their computer time, you know, that's a that's literally a valuable resource yep. that 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 they're that they're bartering for there. Um, and and I think most of the time on those systems, uh, the most CPU usage was done to calculate the uh, the billing back to the departments for their CPU cycles that they used. Yes. Yes, it was <laughs> very much. That was very complicated. Uh, very complicated formula. Um, <laughs> that and the insurance actuarial tables for the oh, lifespan yeah, on the, of the people on the on the moon base. base. It's a yeah. very small column. <laughs> <laughs> Get a lot of risk factors to take into account, though. It took about twenty minutes to compile that one. <laughs> Get anything else? Uh, no, no, not really. Well, I mean, I, I am. I am, uh, you know, I'm enjoying the show so far. So mm-hmm. I, I am genuinely surprised. I kind of thought it might have been it was going to be a bit of a slog, but so far, um, uh, you know, it's providing some good science fiction. Let's let's say, and yep. it's uh, it's also providing a few comical laughs at the way they've done it wrong. Still, right. Well, that's, that's always worth it. Uh, and uh, and. Interesting reflection on on the times back then of what they thought was going to be going on. Were there any other women on the moon base? Uh, yeah, in the first episode, one of the flight controllers was a woman. Okay, so no, she it's was not helping just with Helen. the checklist. She's... Yeah. Oh yes, and, you're right. oh, and you're right. uh, there are uh, two others that I think his name was Ed. He was a research assistant of. Um, um, Heinz and I can't remember the, the guy who blew up. Uh, Did we see the guy who got blown up? I, I I thought that was just like a throwaway that we didn't even. Well, no, that was uh, that was uh, um, the uh, yeah the guy who uh, went out and uh, did his his uh, research all on his own without telling anybody. Oh yeah, but there was another guy that got killed in that explosion. It was like a throwaway. It was like was there? Yeah, there was two people killed in that oh. section. One See, was a scientist, even... and the yeah. other one was just like we didn't even bother to mention him. Oh wow, <laughs> so... no, I didn't even get get that at all. No. Oh okay, okay. When you but, said then uh, the guy who got blown up, I thought you were talking about that. The no, other no, guy who got blown up. Okay, yeah, no. No, that confused me. Lobenthal. Lobenthal. Yeah. There we go. Heinz. Heinz yeah. Lobenthal. Yep. yep. Uh, but no, there were two other women that uh, they threatened to resign, or one threatened to, oh, to resign, right. go back, and uh, the other one, and somebody else one did resign. resign in uh, sympathy. Yeah, right. One one was chewing out a woman. That's, That's right. Yes, yes. There we go. Yes, it was dread. <laughs> wow. Minor thing. Chewing out, dressing down. All right. What's the phrase? Um, That's chastising. Easy. Chastising. There we go yes. for bad work. Berating, giving a poor berating, a poor work performance evaluation, um, and was that just saving parts that that they had? To, they give Juan a big 
you know, hey, good job, Juan. And then later in the episode, it's like, mm, bad job, Juan. I'm not sure. I think they just wanted to show that the uh, the situation situation at the base was getting rather stressful for everybody. I think I think Juan will be back next week and get killed. You think so? I think that I think that's the way this show is going to work. So last time we had Lobenthal and we you know got a brief little bit with him and something's going on there and then this week he's dead and we find <laughs> a little bit about Juan next week he's dead. That way we kind of keep hmm. this sort of hey you knew that guy and he's dead. You never can tell who's going to die next on this show. I think it's going to be like the episode after that or maybe a bit farther. Anyways, right. yeah, that can be very interesting. Hmm. Well, the next episode of Moonbase 3 is called Achilles Heel. Ooh, I wonder if it's about running on the moon. <clears throat> well, without a spacesuit shoes. Ooh. Could be. All that could be. Yeah. That regolith is probably pretty nasty. It is. Uh, it's powdered cutting. glass. Yeah. yeah. It yeah. will hurt you bad. So that would be an Achilles heel. Um, <laughs> John, thank you for joining me. Oh, you're very welcome. And listeners, I hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. You've been listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Find out how you can be a sponsor and get early access to all episodes and more at patreon.com slash fusion patrol come join the conversation on facebook or twitter all episodes are available at fusionpatrol.com. our music is fight the future by amber wolf this has been a lone locust production